You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Uh, I first want to welcome you and welcome particularly those who are coming here for their first time. My name is Duku and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Today, we come to our fourth Sunday on the series of No Turning Back, based on the book of Colossians. Uh, But before I start on this fourth session, which I have titled Safeguarding Our Faith in Jesus Christ, or Safeguarding Your Faith, in Jesus Christ. We can do it together. You can do it individually. First, a recap of what we have done so far. Week one, we covered about our status in Jesus Christ. We are adopted as God's children through Jesus Christ and made her heirs with Jesus Christ. That is a high standard of status that we have. Second delays, we talked, on the second week, we talked about the supremacy and the centrality of Christ. We're told he's the firstborn of all creation and he's the head of the church. That is his body. Third week, we talked we talked about suffering, that it's a Christian virtue. It's something that we should expect. Christ suffered, leaving us an example. Now, when St. Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, he was full of joy because he has heard that they were doing very well. But how could they rest assured in that? If you're a Christian and you think that you're doing very well, how can you rest assured with that? And if so, for how long? Yes, you have received Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Colossians. He's the supreme and the central thing central in everything, in all things. However, that does not take away your need to be vigilant, to keep watch. Don't you ever, he tells them, think for a moment, oh, we have got it, we have got everything in one Lord. And we have got the head, we have got the supreme over. That is, that will cover us. That is just sufficient. So I can do nothing. But just as you came to faith in Jesus Christ, the same way you can easily wander off. And so there is need to be vigilant. And we shouldn't say no more worries, we can sleep. 
and all will go well. Not really. So he begins with these verses. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built in him, and established, being rooted and built up in him and established in, in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. Now, receiving Christ is only the beginning of the Christian experience. And there is more to be learned. So the reference to knowledge is, is spread out through the book actually. Not only that, but once I become a Christian, once you become a Christian, you become a living organism. You know, scientists tell us that things don't live if they are not fed. And they don't grow if they are not fed. In the same way, our spiritual life is like that. This verse summarizes the heart of Paul's message today, Colossians. Please don't keep, don't sit still, don't keep silent, don't stay away. Keep vigilant, keep watching because there is so much spiritual danger out there and even within. This message is for all Christian communities, every Christian, in every generation. Now, as we speak, the context in which we live in, Nolan will tell you. She celebrated her birthday yesterday. And I thought, oh, that's long, long way back. Probably none of you were born. But she will tell you that time when Everybody, 98% of Australians were Christians. But what has happened over the years? It's that context that I'm now speaking into. It's serious. Your life as a Christian, my life is at stake if we are not vigilant. I believe that in Colossi, vigilance was absent. Just like in our present day Western society or church. Why? Because success has been taken for granted. This is what John, in his revelation, writes to Laodicea. Laodicea, I happen to go to the Lycus Valley. Actually, when you stand on Laodicea, you could see the hill of Colossi down that side, and then on the other side, over the valley, you could see the Heropolis. So it's within the same vicinity. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thou says the Amen the faithful and the true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I've become wealthy and they need nothing. And you don't realize that you are what? Pitiful, poor, blind, and the naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and the ointment spread on your eyes so that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I think this was written almost around the same time. And Colossus was not very far. It sounds like us, doesn't it? There's some things here have contributed to the virtual collapse of the church in Western society. Paul uses two intertwined images to make his point clear about the experience of the Christian life. The first image is the image of a tree. You know how he says roots? I think roots are connected to trees. And then build, building is connected to, building is connected to buildings. So intertwined in a very unusual way. He used the image of roots of a tree signifying they need to be fed in order to survive and grow. But the roots also anchor the tree family into the ground. For this to happen, the soil must be fertile and deep enough. The plant uses its roots also to suck the water and the nutrients needed for both survival and growth. So if that stops, then the plant dies. And that's exactly what we as Christians are in our spiritual life. Once you begin the journey, you stop. Tom Wright compares it that it's like riding a bicycle. You have to be willing forward. Otherwise, you topple off on the other side. There is no point of stopping and then you think you can remain or I can remain on my bike. The pedaling has to go the same with the feeding uh, illustration. It never stops. Many Christians who stop participating and engaging in spiritual growth, I can stay in my house. It's all nonsense to come and gather and be together and have fellowship. Or be fed with the word of God. They die. And that happens gradually. The second image is a building. This is our new tower 
in Melbourne. It's going up, 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 I don't know until where. But it's gonna be magnificent. But I think that for that building to go up, it must have a very, very firm foundation. So Paul uses this illustration of a foundation for the teaching and the learning that we need. Christ is the foundation of our teaching. Buildings with solid foundation with stamp, shocks, and whatever. But if Christ is our foundation, we are going to stand tall like this building. And then we can go and then we can shine in the hall of Melbourne and everybody will see the beauty that it is in Christ. Interestingly, <laughs> Paul chose these two buildings or these two images that are very prone <laughs> to hurricanes if they are neglectedly or carelessly. It would lead to catastrophe of unimaginable proportion. In First Corinthians, he writes this: "For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with his gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work." will become obvious, but the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. After that, Paul issues three warnings. Very important that we are established, but then he moves on to warn. The first warning is in verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and the empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. This warning is not about people who argue that Christianity has got no philosophical basis. In fact, any philosopher knows that the Bible is the most profound philosophical document you can ever get. That's why they struggle and they wrestle and they... But Jesus never claimed to be a philosopher. We shouldn't get things wrong. And the Bible is a bit muted when it comes to talk about Greek philosophy. We had Paul arguing with the Epicureans and the Stoics in Athens. 
But hardly does the Bible mention about anything in detail because it doesn't want to confuse things. So this warning is not about the philosophy that attacks the church from outside. Paul is talking about a particular group of people that I would like to term as destructors. They are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, for if a person comes and preaches another gospel, Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you, you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, you put up with that, with it splendidly. And then in verse 12, but I will continue to do what I am doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. For, my, for such people are false prophet, apostles. In other versions, is super apostles, deceitful workers, distinguishing themselves distinguishing themselves as apostles of Christ. This is the group that Paul is dealing about, that he's writing about. He's warning people seriously about it. In my view, as I will later state, they are the most dangerous to our faith. In other words, the philosophical attacks from outside are less dangerous than the distortion of doctrine that exists in some churches. Where you or me can easily, quietly, ungrudgingly, laughingly, joyfully embrace a completely different gospel. even without realizing it. These people are a group of Jews who are reactionary to the gospel being preached by Paul. And they have determined to pursue Paul wherever he goes. As soon as he finishes, he goes there somewhere, they are in. Telling people, oh guys, receiving Christ as you had it from Paul is not enough to get full spiritual experience. You need this and this and this and this. I'm not sure if this specific group is the one that concerns Paul in Colossae. It's not mentioned. But it doesn't matter who they exactly are, Jewish or Gentile converts to Judaism or others from the pagan. There were numerous pagan cults in that time. 
that they claimed to offer a fuller and a greater spiritual experience in addition to the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul has preached. They did not say what Paul was saying is wrong. And this is, makes it tricky. Because if you go to any church that teaches error, you're not going to say that. See this. It's going to be... It's like a rotten rat that you rub very nicely in a gift bag and then you give it to somebody. My experience of this, because perhaps most of you here are not first generation Christians, but I am. So my mother became Christian, and then I followed. Then there was that argument in the family, particularly when somebody falls sick, where part of the family want to take the child to a traditional healer who invokes on powers. And then part of the family, probably, my mother died. She left me too young to resist things by myself. <laughs> but I would try to resist. I say, oh, no. But you know what, what the traditional killers did? They said, when people go to consult them, they say, what we are doing is a power given to us by God to heal people. But then they invoke the spirits of the dead. They invoke the spirits from the mountains and the rivers to bring the healing. But because they know they were losing their business and they wanted to have some income, that's how they did, did it. Masking it as part of what God has given, what Christ is telling people to be nice and serve others. Like the Colossians, their counterparts, they would argue that the beliefs in their spirits and powers can coexist alongside the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Paul's day, there were many. The ancestral spirits I have talked about, the established traditions, demonic powers, astrology, cosmic powers, all these were powers that could be consulted. And so Paul re restates again in chapters 9 to 10, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ and that you have been filled by him who is the head of every ruler and the authority. These things have got no place in your lives anymore. Christ has all the powers. Christ is the creator and he holds everything together. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. He, he is everything that you ever want 
in terms of the fullness of deity. He is the conqueror of death. The one who defeats evil and the sin in your life and in my life. And so Paul borrows the language. See, in verses 11 to 12, the languages, the language that these people come to use to confuse these people. He says, you were also circumcised with in him with a circumcision, not done with the hands, but putting off the body of flesh in the the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in a baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This is the, the terminology of the destructors used to confuse the Gentile converts. And Paul tells the Colossians that their conversion baptism is also an initiation act like circumcision and spiritually richer and more significant. So that when these people come and they talk about circumcision, oh, you need to be circumcised, oh, you need not to eat that food, oh, here, 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 here. They will not be carried with that empty talk. One thing. It is nonsense to suggest that anyone circumcised of the flesh adds a fuller and a greater spiritual experience. This is what Paul is telling them. But before their baptism, you know how he wads it in beautifully with the burial and the rising of Jesus Christ. And the baptism that follows, his death on the cross, the heart of the gospel, in this simple act of dying on the cross, God did something so profound, hard to believe, that he transforms. He transforms these people. He transforms us and he transforms anyone who would want to. He has given us freedom to choose. From the oldest state, which he states in verse 13, and when you were dead in your sins, in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave all the sins. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. They were dead in their sins. They carried this certificate of death which is spelt punishment and the hell the evil that they carried against God, they were controlled by the spiritual powers. In all this, in one single act of death on the cross and the rising from death, Christ wiped all that out. And our response is that baptism. I'd like to see more baptisms here. 
Praise the Lord. All the conditions became changed through Christ's death on the cross and the day of baptism. And it doesn't sound true, but it is. That is it. That's what it means. These things cannot be fixed strenuously by religious arguments or philosophical arguments. No, not at all. Neither civilization or scientific and technological advancement, as some people are tempted to think, there is no evidence that because we are advanced, the level of evil has gone down. I went to prison in the course of the week and they interacted with prisoners. We had fellowship, which was... But what struck me is when we asked the prisoners to pray. A prayer coming from a convicted person is powerful and transforming. So don't buy into this argument that oh, because we are advanced, we are now developed, we have evolved, we have... Uh, uh, no, it's as tough as ever, if not tougher. The second warning, to move a bit quickly, therefore don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. So this is one of the tools that <laughs> these destructors actually use harsh judgment of new Christian converts. Oh, 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 that's not how you do it. I think a real church must do it this way. Oh, oh, doesn't the Bible forbid eating this and that? Oh, I noticed that you don't celebrate the Sabbath. How could you think that's a real church? Come and try my one. Oh, at Red Door, I noticed that you guys do things like that. Hmm. I don't think that's a real church. <laughs> and there is a lot. In fact, when you look around, there is a lot of movement of Christians. That side, that side, that side. When you ask them what they are looking for, they say, we are looking for a good church. Okay, good luck. But we know that Paul also is on record in the scriptures that he encourages things like self-control, abstaining from food when you think that's going to stumble somebody, uh, staying single, not getting married. You can't live a full life with, in singleness. That is okay. 
If you're widowed, if you don't want to marry, he gives people option. But when these super apostles come, unless you do these things and avoid these things, you won't be saved. I think that's not right. Some churches also start very well, but down the track, they begin to develop traditions, traditions, and these traditions begin overtaking the importance of God's word, and then they become the main thing. And then people get attached to that, and their ears don't like the word of God at all, because we want it's like a counseling session. We don't want to hear something sinful, something about judgment day, something about hell. No, 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 no. Spare us. And then so you find that the Bible is not preached fully. Third warning. Let no one condemn you by delighting in a sect price practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Asceticism is a harsh treatment of the body aimed to be a fuller spiritual experience. Body mortification, excessive fasting, self-abasement, And people who do that normally boast about it, of being spiritually superior over others. It is common in other religious communities. I will not mention for the sake of being respectful, but I notice that Christians who come from those areas tend to adapt to that. And they think it's normal. It's abnormal. The Bible doesn't encourage it. Finally, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't test, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is desired to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for a wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. It's a shadow. Paul wrote to keep the church pure and healthy and to defend the gospel. Not only in Colossus, but even here today. In this section, Paul concludes, and in his conclusion, it appears that the activity of the destructors is already actually happening. And some people in Colossi, although in small number, have started giving loyalty. So can I sadly admit that any Christian community that exists, there will be people like that. 
If their numbers outnumber the others, that's when you move into liberal direction. For those of you who cherish liberal theology, I'm not aiming at you, but I'm talking about a drift away from biblical truth to tradition. The greatest spiritual threat is not the one that is from without, but the one from within. And I think, and it happens like this. 99% of the things said is biblical truth, but 1% is a twist and the addition. And that is like yeast. Those who do it actually know that when they plant it there, oh, we can all be happy here. Oh, and we praise the Lord. But they know they have already planted the yeast. And with the time, they do it tactfully because they know if they come and they say 99 wrong, all of you will disappear from here. They will make sure they say one thing that is not correct. And then you say, oh, okay, okay, nice, nice. Next, a bit later. Now, friends, as I conclude, how have you been impacted by the relentless philosophical attacks that we get in the public media or in other sources? How have you been impacted by the compromises some churches have made towards the gospel and doctrinal distortions from within. How have you survived the judgmentalism that what you believe is actually old, what, what you believe is bigotry, what you believe is not necessary in a pluralistic society? How have you survived? Are you struggling with these attacks? As we go to sing, you can have a time of prayer on my left side here. May God bless you.